Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on uh, this Monday, 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm and at thetrumpet.com. Coming up on today's program, look at some of the headlines from over the weekend, uh, including uh, more explosions down there in Austin, Texas. Uh, People are on edge and a little bit nervous about what's happening down there. You may have heard, too, about the uh, Russian election over the weekend. uh, It'll be a surprise. We'll tell you at the end of the show who won the election and uh, look at why that's important. That and more this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon here today. And I was uh, just commenting to you, Grant, that I, I hope people understand the joke there in the beginning. I think everybody <laughs> knows Vladimir Putin won the, the election in Russia and knew he was going to win. So um, that was just a joke. We weren't actually surprised at all by no, that. No, no. And I know no, none of the listeners are surprised either. <laughs> so some, sometimes... You know, you can throw a joke out there and then you think, I wonder if people got that or if they thought it was being serious, <laughs> especially if you're deadpan about it. Yeah, they think we're like the most clueless news watchers ever <laughs> if we thought that was actually a surprise. They think that they, they nobody knows. Yeah, so that interesting weekend there over in uh, Russia, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, to start out today, uh, if you're a basketball fan or even if maybe not that big of a fan, you might be interested in the March Madness, as they call it. That's a college basketball tournament. And uh, it's always exciting when there's upsets, and there was a lot of upsets in the first weekend. One of note was uh, this underdog story. This had never happened before, so this was history uh, this weekend. University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UW or UMBC, which is uh, not not a powerhouse in any way athletically, uh, they beat the number one overall seed, Virginia, and uh, they did it by 20 points. And so what what always happens for those familiar with the tournament is you have the top seed. Virginia wasn't just the top seed in their in their region. They were the number one overall best team in basketball. Played great. They played the toughest competition of of the year uh, throughout their season and they were just a great team. And so typically they go in and you you'll play this low seed and you know beat them by a bunch of points. This a 16 seed has never beat the number one overall seed, and then it it happened over the weekend, and it wasn't close. It was 20 points. Yeah, none of the none of the number one seeds have ever lost, and I think it's been 135 times in right. the in previous tournaments where the four number one seeds just just completely destroy the 16 seed, and here you have them not only beating a number one seed but beating the top of the four number one seeds as well. Amazing. And so it's that's what's so fun about those basketball tournaments is you have teams that that never play each other. I mean, you would never have University of Maryland, Baltimore County playing Virginia. Just <laughs> why would they? Different. Everything's different about the where they play, and um, as far as conferences. But you never know. Now, again, that and and what also makes a basketball tournament so exciting is that it's a it's one game. 
if these if it was a best of seven series, Virginia probably wins the series four one, right? They probably come back and you know whatever the issue was, they figure it out and they win. But you don't have a chance to do that. So I you know I do feel bad for Virginia because you don't want to be in the record books for that. <laughs> and here they were probably thinking they were going to win the championship or have a good chance, and they lose. But you ha- you have to be just so excited for these fellas. This is going to be a highlight of their lives from uh, U- UMBC. Yeah, I actually had to go look up what that stood for. <laughs> They're not ob- obviously a very common team. Isn't it the Terriers? It is. I've heard of that, yeah. but I didn't really know what UMBC stood for. Isn't that the team that beat North Carolina earlier this year? Oh, did they? The, the Terriers. Huh. I thought we brought it up. One of these Terrier teams oh, yeah. beat North Carolina, but I don't know if it was this one specifically. Oh, that could be right. Yeah, so I mean, obviously they're good, but... But uh, you won't expect them. Wouldn't expect them to be the number one. Yeah, they're too. just not. They're obviously not top recruits in all of basketball coming out of high school. But uh, you can still have a really solid program, even even just here locally. There's a lot of really small schools, and you go to these games, and it's really impressive how all the defenders seem to work together to play team defense and and make sure that one guy is not completely beating them by himself and they have good shots they, they practice the fundamentals the right way it's not like they're just total scrubs because they're not at a top program yeah there's a, there's a certain level of guys that are the top top recruits but then there are other guys that are really good and they, they work really hard uh, they were talking about this uh this team umbc and it said uh, maybe cbs's bill raftery said it best when discussing the height and weight of kj mora that's the uh, point guard for the Terriers. He's from Puerto Rico. Mora has acknowledged that no matter what the various programs and rosters say, he's only 5'7 on a good day and about 132 pounds. <laughs> so a lot of times they'll tr- they'll try to inflate the players' heights a little bit. You know, they'll say somebody's 7' when they're 6'10", or they're 6' when they're 5'10". They, they try to make them a little bigger. But he said he's 5'. He's, imagine that, 5'7". 132 pounds and Raftery, Bill Raftery said it's more like 110 pounds <laughs> and the rest of it is all heart. <laughs> so just to be that size and to be going up against these other players, I don't know what the, the size of the guards from Virginia are, but in top programs are usually somewhere between 6'2 and 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six, and that's the guard play usually and then even bigger down in the post. So that just shows, I mean, it's a small, smaller school, a small guy playing was one of their better players. That I, it's just exciting to see that, yeah, if you work hard and you really put your all into something, you, sometimes the results outweigh the stature of the individual. Well, something as uh, seemingly trivial, trivial as size could be the difference between being a top recruit and not. I mean, th- even if someone has all of the skills as someone who is 6'2 and 200 pounds, well, they're a lot smaller. And so... Uh, an equally skilled person who has a size advantage could could take advantage of that person pretty easily. Yeah, there's there's been some examples of that actually where guys have come out of high school and then hit a really wild growth spurt and all of a sudden they're in the NBA because right. they grew a foot. <laughs> that happened with David Robinson and also uh, uh, Anthony Davis. Oh yeah, as well. That's right. So. Uh, well, here's an interesting stat, though, about these two different basketball programs. UMBC's story, they say, not only gives hope to future number 16 seeds, but also to every smallish sports program. As ESPN's uh, Darren Rovell pointed out, Kansas State, that's the team that did beat UMBC in the next round, so they did lose, but, but it was a close game still. Yeah. Uh, but Kansas State's athletic budget is $73.4 million per year. Oh. UMBC is only thirteen million. 
So they're, 13 million is still a lot, but yeah. when, when you compare it to some of these major uh, sports programs, they don't have the money, they don't have the facilities, they don't have all the, the hype, but yet you get them out there on the court and just let them play one game and just see what happens. <laughs> I wonder what Herbert W. Armstrong College could do with $13 million, though, <laughs> yeah. if we just had that allotted for sports. Like, what kind of world-class facilities would we have out here? <laughs> wow. Yeah, $13 million. That's, you can do a lot of things with $13 million. <laughs> and then just keep playing intramural sports, yeah. not even play other colleges. <laughs> the world's greatest intramural sports program. <laughs> that would be uh, that would be something. So anyway, pretty pretty interesting. And uh, uh, even if you're not a big sports fan, I just think it's exciting to see people and teams, you know, achieve something that they didn't think they could and really just just exceed their own expectations even. Yeah, and that, that game against Kansas State yesterday was only 50-43, to 43, so it mm-hmm. was really close and like you said it's one game that they're playing and and a lot of other upsets have taken place too like oh yeah who's ever heard of Loyola Chicago I think it is right they you know that that's not a team you commonly hear about or uh what was did Nevada yeah Nevada came back yep. yesterday from 22 points down with 10 yep. minutes left to beat Cincinnati I just saw the last couple minutes of that uh some of these some of these upsets are like not only teams that you don't hear of but just the way that they come back is just absolutely stunning it is yeah that Loyola team I think is one on two buzzer beaters yeah so they're kind of riding this magical wave and you know for like the UMBC there after they knocked off Virginia I mean you'd think hey we beat the number one team maybe we can win the whole thing you Mm -hmm. so I imagine they were maybe kind of dreaming a little bit there but then obviously (laughs) 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 but they have nothing to be ashamed of I did see the end of that Nevada game and uh, it was pretty exciting. What was interesting about it to me, one of the things was the Cincinnati head coach, he made a decision to leave one of his main players in when he had, I think it was uh, four fouls. And he should have pulled him out probably to protect him from fouling out, but he didn't, left him in. And he picked up kind of a silly foul, and he fouled out of the game, and the cameras caught the coach's reaction. And the coach was just kind of outraged and just you know very into the game. It's sort of hysterical about it. And it could read his lips... I'll give you the the censored version, but <laughs> but he 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 was clearly out of control himself because he was so upset, and he yelled at the player, uh, "Calm down," <laughs> which I thought was so funny. Because I'm like, well, "But but you, sir, are not calm." The reason I thought it was funny is <laughs> I've I've done that myself, where I've been upset. Uh, you know, maybe uh, in a parenting moment. <laughs> you know, told my kids to calm down, and I probably needed to calm down a little bit too, so I could relate to the coach's uh, frustrations. It was pointless for the coach to tell someone who's no longer allowed to play in the game to calm down. It's yeah. a little, a little too late at that point to to rein in that person's emotions. But I guess yeah. you can still say it. He had to say. He just had to say it. Calm down. Calm down. Oh, uh, did you see that? Uh, the end of that Michigan Houston game the other night too. Yeah, I just saw the clip of the the game winner. Houston looked like they had pulled off a pretty good comeback too, and then Michigan shot like a, a thirty point, a thirty foot three point shot at the buzzer and very well guarded way behind the line and it went right in yep and what was funny about that one too is he did the thing that a lot of nba guys do like steph curry where down. He, they purposely fall down to try to make it look like they were fouled right. but as soon as it went in he popped right back up and was running around like he <laughs> know. but he made he made it look like he got bumped i didn't like that part of no. it <laughs> but the shot went in uh, i don't know how many people you know you you can fill out these brackets for the games i don't know how many people picked umbc to beat virginia Surely somebody did just because they thought, hey, I'm going to try it. 
My son actually did. He picked that one. Really? Yeah. And uh, we, we're just doing it in the family. We all fill out brackets. We kind of compare them. And uh, so I think we're all kind of neck and neck. We're pretty close as far as just overall wins. But uh, I still have my two championship teams in, in the hunt. Really? I had Michigan okay. and Duke. Okay. So we'll so see. Michigan barely survived. Barely. Duke is doing very well. So they're yeah. they're probably a good a good a good pick there too. I, I did see some of the U, UMBC alumni actually bet eight hundred dollars on oh. their team winning, and they won sixteen thousand dollars. Oh wow! Like that just not that you should bet, right? But, <laughs> but just the fact that they won that much from what they what they paid into it shows you what the odds were. Yeah. Oh, amazing. There's probably people that that unfortunately get into that and you shouldn't but i mean they probably take those bets every year just to, yeah for hoping for the big payoff they they did it again against kansas state and, and then they, they lost, lost their money <laughs> now they owe sixteen thousand dollars <laughs> yeah yeah you win some you lose some that's uh the way those go i guess uh other headlines today the this explosions that are going on down, down there in austin continue there was an explosion that injured two in southwest austin austin possibly triggered by a tripwire uh, an explosion that injured two men in southwest Austin on Sunday night. That's the fourth explosion that's uh, occurred this month they think was possibly set off by a tripwire. Austin police are urging residents in the area of Dawn Song Drive to stay in their homes until given the all clear by officers. So I guess can't go to school or work or anything. Uh, the uh, chief down there, Brian Manley, says residents within the half-mile radius of Dawn Song Drive are advised to stay inside or avoid the area until uh, daylight. So I guess we're probably past that point now. Uh, and the police uh, are investigating a second item, a backpack found in the neighborhood. So once you start having these bombs go off, every object becomes sort of uh, suspicious, I guess. He said investigators are working under the belief that the explosives are similar but Sunday's bomb was possibly on the side of the road, not on a front porch like the other ones had been. Speaking to Good Morning America, uh, Manley says most recent bomb, the most recent bomb showed a different level of skill. So I think they're offering like a hundred thousand dollar reward for information, and they're kind of. I think they even came out and said to whoever did it or the group that's doing it to turn themselves in. Which I don't. Why would they do that? But uh, so they're on edge down there in Austin, Texas. Yeah, and it's almost like the work of either some kind of a psychopath or a copycat uh, who might be just doing what he saw someone else get news attention for doing. It's just a really like sickly, creative way of trying to injure people that you don't see very often. And just the fact that it's been, what, like four times recently? Is that is that how many times it's happened? Yeah, you just never really hear stories like that. Yeah, we haven't had that happen in the U.S. really since I think the Unabomber, as far as I can remember. Yeah, uh, they've had to cancel at least one concert down there. It's the South by Southwest festival, and because a man made a a bomb threat, and he was arrested. And it doesn't appear that um, there was an actual explosive. It was just copycat. You know, you get somebody calling in, and I mean, even uh, if you go back to the Parkland, Florida school shooting. Days after that, people were calling in fake threats to different schools. You know, even even in even the aftermath of a massive tragedy, there's still, I don't know, people that want to do that for some reason. So well, weren't people even making threats uh, when those students walked out, like saying, you know, if you do walk out, we'll we'll shoot you. So I think they were even 
threats of some of the schools in Oklahoma. Like, really? you know, because you know that all the kids are going to be outside, like hundreds of them at the same time, if they happen to go along with that belief about gun control. And so uh, it's a pretty easy target. I, I thought about that right away when they were all announcing the exact date and time for wh- when they'd all be outside the building. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. 60 Minutes did an interview with some of the kids that are behind this uh, anti-gun movement. I didn't watch it. I just saw it was coming on. I was uh, too busy cleaning my garage, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I am. I was in, kind of interested actually to hear what they would say, but I, I think I kind of know. I, mm-hmm. In the little bit I saw, they were saying they were the, well, what do they call themselves? Like the the school shooting generation or something. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know. But, there have been a lot of school shootings over the last few generations all the way back to Columbine. Even before then, there's been some, but Columbine was kind of the big one. So it's it's been going on for a while, unfortunately. Yeah, it's been at least uh, within the last, like, 15, 20 years that it's been uh, something that comes up in the news pretty regularly. It's probably not to the level of a crisis because it's not like it happens in all in all 50 states every year or two but it it is something that you hear about in the news and it does gain a lot of attention and probably the next shooter gains inspiration from seeing how much coverage that the previous shooter got on the news that's why it is dangerous to, for news outlets to be putting the the face and name of the shooter everywhere yeah there was a story over the weekend too related it relates a lot to the trumpet hour from last week that joel hilliker gave about just all the missed signs there with the parkland shooting and uh they wanted a lot of officials wanted that uh shooter committed to uh some mental health care facility because he just had so many problems so the more they look at it the more the more signs you see and i you know why didn't 60 minutes do a feature on that maybe they did i didn't see it but but they they want to do a feature on the gun situation. But what about the all the missed signs of uh, the shooter? Well, a tipster even called that shooter the next school shooter, like well before it happened. Like they called in and warned that that was going to be what he ended up doing with his life. Why why does no one ever point out that so many signs were missed and so many people made so many mistakes, and that's why this happened? For some reason, everyone decides to turn on the guns first yeah and then if you don't have guns you have bombs right and like they have in uh, austin so uh, the other thing that's interesting just say about austin or a school shooting or, or anything you know where it's it's violence and it's sort of unknown where it's coming from for a time uh, just the, the panic and uh you know really austin is kind of on edge and over a few bombs that have blown up and you know harmed a couple of people and killed a few. And I, I don't mean to make light of those that were hurt or anything, but when you look at the overall population of the city, I mean, it is numbers wise, it's pretty minor, mm-hmm. but just the threat of it really cripples the whole city. It, it shows how, how susceptible we are to, to terrorism. And of course there are Bible prophecies that talk about that where people are scared. They run when no one's chasing them. And so you see stories like this and, and you can see how even just a few well-placed uh, attacks or something, can cripple a whole city and, and people become terrified. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, uh, the public high school I attended here actually had some sort of a bag left outside, like on a sidewalk, and they had to call on a SWAT team and a bomb unit to check out the bag and see why it was left unattended for so long. And so this could be very similar to something uh, that's going on in Austin where they might see a bag that's out there in the open and think, 
what if there's explosive materials in here or people who normally get packages delivered to their front porch they'll probably be afraid to pick them up or they'll at least be thinking of the past times that these packages have literally exploded in people's faces whenever they pick them up it it does create a lot of fear at least you remember pretty clearly uh, the other bombs that went off whenever you're in those situations. Yeah, what would you do if you got a package? If you live there and you got a package delivered, um, I I mean, I guess if you had ordered something and you knew, maybe you'd be a little more not as nervous. But I, I don't know. I could see myself like kind of throwing a rock at it oh, from yeah, a distance definitely. just to see what happens, or you know, I you you'd probably think about it. Yeah, and and might be a good idea to start getting packages delivered to a post office if you have a p.o box instead of maybe having it go directly to your house i don't know if that would make a difference but if they're all on the porch it seems like uh they're being i guess they're being tampered with maybe after they're put on the porch or maybe somehow uh they're getting intercepted on the way to people's homes it just doesn't seem like if it was directly at the post office people would have a chance to rig them up like that people have had problems with stuff on their uh, situations on their front porches lately, yeah. you, explosions in Austin. But then you have people that steal packages. And so to try to prevent that now, they've developed some of these like package traps to catch people or they'll, people will put cameras outside so they can see what's happening. And I was thinking, what's the next thing? I mean, do you need the like a home bomb detector you know those little robots that go out and like poke at the thing? <laughs> yeah. Like you were talking about at the school there. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but I mean we just keep having to amp up security measures for people's personal homes because crime keeps well coming literally to people's front doors. Well, that's what we've been seeing a lot recently is people, evil people exploiting some of the weaker areas in society. Like with a school, uh, school shooting, a gunman know that a lot of schools are called gun free zones. And so those are the, the soft targets that they would like to, uh, take advantage of and then with the mail system i mean it's pretty easy to just walk up to someone's front porch or even just to their mailbox which is right by the road and open it it's not locked you can you can tamper with that stuff pretty easily uh and people have figured out that maybe it is pretty easy to do something evil if you want to with that yeah it's it's uh just another indication of how much we do need protection because um things can happen <laughs> that that you, you just don't expect. Uh, here's an interesting headline from uh, WND.com. Uh, Army of Islam would be world's biggest military. Turkey hints at forming a 5 million strong alliance against Israel. Don't think they could get all of those people together, but anyway, they have some hopes. Uh, it says, when Turkey's semi-official newspaper, Yeni Safik, uh, called for urgent action, informing a 57-nation army of Islam to besiege and attack Israel, a suggestion undoubtedly approved with at least a wink and a nod by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. It would signal the possible intent to create the largest military force on the planet, one nearly as large as the total population of the Jewish state, Uh, which I thought was interesting uh, on several levels, but one, Five million strong alliance would be the largest military. It was just humorous (laughs) when you think about 200 million man army that Revelation talks about. That's exactly what I thought when I read this. Like, I just started laughing. You're talking about a hypothetical army that hypothetically would be the world's biggest if hypothetically you formed it. Right. But 
you know, Asia has so many more people and maybe you shouldn't be giving them ideas because what if they wanted to form an army that's literally like 40 times larger than yours? Right. Five million. I mean, that's a big army, but it's not 200 million. And I also get the impression that Israel would still beat them anyway, because in their history, they've they've had a lot of nations ganging up on them to start wars and Israel just attacked before they were ready and wiped them all out. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. This report, it says, uh, just ahead of the summit of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Uh, Islam hasn't cooperated very well over the years. They have a lot of infighting, but uh, it says it was published under the headline, What If an Army of Islam Was Formed Against Israel? It was translated by the Middle East Media Research Institute. They say, but it wasn't a rhetorical question. It was actually a suggestion to combine the military forces of all Islamic countries to overwhelm the Israeli army in manpower, budget, and equipment, even boasting with statistics. So they had these different stats that they looked at. Uh, They say in the report, Israel is described as the outpost of the new crusade and a dagger in the heart of Islam and, quote, the eyes, ears, and fist of the Christian world. So I don't think we certainly, I don't think anyone needed... um, any more verification that uh, the Islamic world hates the Jews. But if you needed more confirmation, what they think about Israel, they put it out there in their paper. And by the way, the vast majority of Jews are Jewish and not Christian. <laughs> so I don't know why they would say they're the eyes, ears, and fists of the Christian world. <laughs> they, they didn't really think this article <laughs> very well through. <laughs> but they, they, uh, they're thinking about trying to knock Israel out in some way. Of course, Turkey's this uh, paper wants uh, Turkey to be involved very much. It says, uh, quote, Turkey will serve as an important headquarters during the operation due to its land, air, and naval infrastructures. The Turkish army, which carried out Operation Euphrates Shield in Syria in 2017 with great success, is now ranked the world's seventh strongest army and the second largest army among NATO powers. That's the other thing that's really interesting is that they're in in NATO. (laughs) Um, Aren't we supposed to be working together to protect nations? And here NATO members are talking about uh, getting together armies to destroy other countries. It, that just show, it shows the foolishness of NATO. That is a defunct system. <laughs> right. When you have people within NATO bragging about, or countries within NATO bragging about how they are, in their estimation anyway, uh, what would they say, seventh largest army in NATO. And by the way, if we can all get together, we could destroy Israel. Yeah. Isn't that, NATO supposed to protect the world? Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because Turkey has been trying for a really long time to get into the European Union, and they've pretty much been held as uh, an honorary member, a nation that's kind of sort of in good standing with Europe as long as each side gets what it wants. But Europe, the European Union has continually denied them access uh, to that union. Uh, but, of course, we know from the Bible that pretty soon they'll be a part of that, at least as a part of a pretty strong alliance with them too. Right, yeah, the... Uh this report also noted Pakistan with its nuclear arsenal, and so they, they want to get nukes going. Uh, Mr. Fleury, uh, on a Key of David program titled Turkey is Going to Betray America, uh, said this. He was talking about the Psalm 83 uh, prophecy, and there's a reprint article about that that really highlights what's going to happen with these nations. But the Psalm 83 reprint, he said, will prove to you that Turkey is going to ally itself with Germany. Not with America, not with Britain, and not with the Jewish nation in the Middle East. 
<laughs> they hate the Jews, of course. <laughs> it says, because of that alliance and Turkey's hatred for Britain and America and the Jews in the Middle East, God has a powerful prophecy against them. The news isn't good for Turkey, if you look at what God says. But they're going to do a lot of their dirty work that they have in mind. They're already doing it as a matter of fact. So when you look at Turkey and you see these things, and they're talking about having this big army. Well, they, they are going to go against Israel in a particular way, but in fact, they're going to uh, ally themselves with Germany. Yeah, then that's that's really uh, where we need to focus when when we look at stories like this. Uh, like I mentioned, Europe has been quite tactful in dealing with Turkey. They have kind of kept them at arm's length, but they they do see that as a relationship of convenience. For example, uh, Turkey can be like a gateway uh, for migrants getting into Europe, and whenever Angela Merkel tells Turkey to stop letting them flow in, Turkey can. Uh, stop that as long as they get some benefits in return. So there are some times where you see that they do like to ally themselves whenever there's something at stake there, and prophecies align with that trend exactly. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because Israel is prophesied to go to Europe for help to go to Germany and because they're going to they're be in desperate need of allies. And it's interesting, obviously, Germany... Uh, you know, they tried to destroy the Jews in World War Two, And then if you look at some of the nations that uh, Germany will be aligning with, including Turkey, well, look at what Turkey's saying right now about Israel. I mean, even right now, now it's not coming directly from the government necessarily, but if it's coming from a paper in Turkey, yeah, you, like they say, ah, they, they're, they're okay with it. Um, they're, they're proposing getting a, a Islamic army together to destroy Israel. So... You know, from Israel's standpoint, you can you can see they're going to be in really desperate uh, a desperate situation. And of course, the problem is they don't rely on God; they don't look to God, even though they, as a nation, Judah has an amazing history of God delivering them. But if you don't find out what God's prophet says, if you don't trust God, you don't you know seek His will. What do you do? Well, you look around, say, I don't know, maybe this group can help us. And you rely, or you, you, you know, you trust <laughs> a coalition for protection that includes nations that say they want to destroy you and have actually tried to destroy you in, in living memory. They must feel so alone in the whole world right now because every time nations like this come out and they basically overtly say that they want to wipe Judah off the off the planet, none of their allies completely come forward and say we're a hundred percent on your side. Forget about the Arab states that hate you and the Palestinians in your midst, we're, we're totally going to support you no matter what. It's always about, well, we have to solve this delicate, uh, Arab Jew conflict. And a lot of European leaders are supported by pro Palestinian groups and, and funded a lot by them. So they're not going to totally condemn them either. They don't really have any a hundred percent allies. Britain is experiencing an all time high in anti-Semitism. And so they, they can't really 100% look to any other nation in the world. So like you said, the only option left is God, but they're not going to turn there either. Yeah, they that would be a really frustrating position to be in when, you have, like you said, you have a group that's always telling the world, we want to destroy these people, we hate these people. And, the, and no one's really condemning that. People are like, well, you know we don't like the conflict, or in some cases, the left in particular in this country says, well, you know, maybe they've got a point. 
Right. <laughs> maybe the Palestinians have a point, or maybe these other nations have a point. So. And it's so, it's just a situation. It's a situation where you can't even imagine that taking place with any other nations. I mean, look at North Korea, for example. Every time they threaten South Korea, Mr. Trump immediately comes forward and says, "Look, we'll we'll wipe you out. We'll we'll totally protect South Korea if you try to do anything like that. We'll get China to basically." sanction you and break you <laughs> uh you know assuming that china would actually ever help uh, in doing that but north korea is immediately strongly condemned whenever they issue threats like that and it's not tolerated from them but for some reason from palestinians or from some arab nations uh a lot of people in the world think that the arabs have a point and that they should be allowed to be angry and even take action violently because of their anger too yeah the reprint article that is really important is a psalm 83 uh reprint there at the uh trumpet.com and i think it's also in the king of the south booklet but um seeing where these nations are going to lie and the bible talks about that in psalm 83 of course you have to understand the modern names and so forth but um the islamic world's not going to get together <laughs> they're they're going to go different ways, but uh, some of them will band together. So uh, the Psalm eighty three uh, reprints really important there. Here is a uh, interesting note. I think this is important for everybody that uh, likes to dabble in the social media, dip the dip the toe into the pool of social media. <laughs> it's from Business Insider. It says the twenty four year old billionaire heiress to the Dell fortune. Which is funny because her last name is Dell, actually. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny that her, that is their name. Uh, left social media after exposing her family to security risks. Uh, here is her advice for teens on apps. Uh, her name's Alexa Dell. She's 24. And she's a daughter of tech billionaire and entrepreneur Michael Dell. She grew up in Austin, Texas. A lot, a lot of things going on in Austin, Texas. <laughs> on a sprawling estate called The Castle. Wouldn't it be kind of cool? Where do you live? Ah, at the castle. It's kind of kind of a name that you might want to tone down a little bit. Yeah. So as to avert some eyes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to be just one of the crowd when you live in the castle. <laughs> anyway, her parents and four siblings were there with her as well, and her uh, father, you know, gave her uh, they say a master class on building world changing technologies. So they had really quite an upbringing. Uh, when she was 18, she posted, and this is just, what, six years ago. She's 24 now. Uh, when she was 18, Dell posted a photo to Instagram. A lot of people like to do that. Uh, it was of her younger brother, Zachary, and he was sitting in a window seat of what appeared to be a small plane. And uh, so he's, he's sitting there, and they were going on this trip on this uh, private plane and, and so forth. So she just posted it to Instagram, didn't think too much about it. But it got picked up by a popular uh, Tumblr site, that documents the adventures of the world's wealthiest offspring called Rich Kids of Instagram, <laughs> which I've never been on. Uh, they say within a week of posting, Dell and her brother Zachary disappeared from social media. And the thing that they discovered, and, and it's funny too because they're obviously from a tech family, but social media was new at the time. And they, When they posted those pictures, people could see where they where they were the time that they posted them. And so as they chronicled their trips and their other activities, they made themselves a real target because they were very rich, obviously. People, unfortunately, want to take advantage of that through either theft or, or kidnapping or whatever. And so what they were doing, even though, as they point out, uh, her dad spent a lot of money on just security for the family because they needed it, 
this was just a wide open look into where they were going, what they were doing, where they were going to be, the time they were going to be there. And so they got wise to it. But she says, um, I would advise younger people new to social media to be wary. Everyone's not uh, so nice, she said. And she encourages teens in particular to think twice and be careful before sharing personal information on the Internet. And, of course, she also warned about the fact that a person's tone of voice can be lost in translation. You might say something you think is funny, and all of a sudden people took it the wrong way. Or, But when you put personal information out there, and it could, you know, kids don't think much about it. Hey, here we are. We're having fun. Well, now people know where you are, though, and maybe some people that uh, would have bad intent also know where you are. Yeah, and it is really easy to use social media uh in at least an unwise way, if not a totally wrong way. Um, I mean, there have been examples of uh, women who are at home with their children posting that they're about to be at a certain park at a certain time of day. And, you know, they might even post a picture of themselves with their baby before they go out. And, you know, there are a lot of people who could see something like that and get a bad idea and show up and meet them at that park or, or whatever the case may be. And the thought of that is horrifying because you don't ever want people to be uh, just tracked down and, and abused like that. But that's the reality of the world that we live in, that there are sick people like that. We all get amber alerts and silver alerts on our phones pretty regularly because there are kidnappings and there are uh, violent encounters that take place and we have to try to do our best to guard ourselves from that or people realizing oh you're not going to be home you know because you're, you're out and that we even see that happen uh i think that even happened this year with the super bowl somebody got robbed while they were playing in the super bowl yeah, that's right <laughs> and one of the players you know because people knew well they're not home they're at the super bowl so uh yeah people do pay attention to some of those things for negative reasons and so you know uh people would never think especially teens you wouldn't think that you're show, sharing you know uh locations and dates and times and things for a negative purpose you think oh it's just fun and my friends will want to see this or whoever will want to see this but you're just you're just giving <laughs> you're giving out a lot of personal information there so it is a good warning it is something to pay attention to and um uh just watch out when you're dealing with social media that part about the tone of voice, too, is uh, pretty important, too. Obviously not as important as avoiding kidnapping or robbery like, like the first part of that story, but it is pretty easy to write something online that comes across as smug or arrogant or calloused or hateful, and you could have just been joking or trying to have been sharing a little bit of your life with someone, but it could just easily come across the wrong way and offend people um obviously we can't be concerned all the time about like one or two people getting upset when you're doing nothing wrong but if if there's a way to avoid offending people or avoid giving the wrong impression certainly that's wise to do as well yeah so a good warning there it made me think of uh phones in general because most people use phones for social media and uh you ever wonder how many pay phones still exist in america i have an answer for you <laughs> There are still 100,000 payphones in America. No way. You never even see them. I know. In 1999, they say you could still plunk a coin into one of 2 million phone booths in the United States. Oh. Only 5% of those are left today. And about a fifth of America's 100,000 remaining payphones are in New York. 
Hmm. So that's why we don't see them. <laughs> They're not out here in Oklahoma. They say payphone providers reported $286 million in revenue in 2015. So somebody's still using them a few years ago. They can still be profitable, particularly in places where there isn't cell phone or landline coverage. For example, um, if you have them, like, say, uh, in Yosemite Valley, mm. oh, there uh, a lot of traffic in there, but I guess they don't have very good cell connection or any service. So in some places like that, um, it's one other person that owns quite a few of these phones, which is interesting. I never thought of it as a business, but somebody owns them. Yeah. Uh, they said that they, they still make some money, but particularly when there's uh, some sort of natural disaster or an emergency and people lose cell uh, reception. Then everybody's on the payphone. Okay. So it depends on where they're located. They can still be somewhat profitable, but it's definitely a dying industry. And I didn't I didn't think you could find any anymore, but there's still 100,000 of them out there. Well, that means that about 1,900,000 have been demolished, which it's kind of uh, sad to think about all those poor payphones getting destroyed. I mean, I wonder if they could have just been left up, but probably... They it it costs them money to have them yep. operating at all. So yep. probably in a lot of different places, they would actually become obsolete. Well, it's funny when I was a teenager, they were they would still have advertisements all the time for using self using uh, sorry uh, payphones one eight hundred collect. You're mm. supposed to call one eight hundred collect and then call your number, and it was a very common thing. And now ninety five percent of Americans have uh, cell phones. Wow. So don't need it. Don't need the payphone. Uh, here's just a quick little note. This is. Oh, it's interesting. Uh, people win the lottery, and you think, man, problem solved. No no more problems. Oh, contraire. Lottery winner pleads guilty to bank robbery. Are you kidding me? A man who once won $19 million lottery jackpot pleaded guilty Thursday in California to four federal counts of bank robbery. Uh, his last name is Hayes. He was a Ventura security guard supervisor on the graveyard shift in January of 1998 when he won a $19 million super lotto jackpot. So his life would never, never have any problems again, you'd think. But his ex-wife reportedly took half the jackpot. Oh, no. (laughs) And then Hayes ended up with a $6 million lump sum, which isn't bad. But he had a $1,000 a week heroin habit as well. Uh, When tracked down and arrested by the FBI in October, authorities said Hayes was living in an abandoned garage. That happens sometimes. People win the lottery, they come into a lot of money, and they think, oh, man, I... uh, Life is perfect now, and then in some cases, end up robbing banks, addicted to drugs, living in an abandoned garage. Well, look how highly taxed the lottery output is in the first place. If each of them only got six million, that means another seven million of it was just taken off in taxes. So even that, obviously, you're still getting six million dollars in that case. But uh, the heroin habit, one thousand dollars a week. If you have all that extra money, it's easy to get into some pretty bad habits obviously and that's we've seen that in a lot of different cases with lottery winners even the habit of buying lottery tickets regularly is like a tax on poor people so um when you already have those bad financial habits and then you dump a truckload of money on top of that the bad habits don't go away in fact a lot of the time they get worse because you have more money to spend on it right it just it gives you the the power to uh indulge your Probably some of your weaknesses yeah. that that uh, maybe just couldn't do otherwise. So, uh, interesting story there. The Trumpet.com today has a really interesting write-up. Make sure you check this out. Protect yourself from foodborne illness from Jorg Mardian. He did a uh, segment on this on the Trumpet Hour a while ago, and this is the write-up. 
Food poisoning is awful, and it is more common than you think. Why does it happen, and what can you do about it? So he gives some tips there about avoiding food poisoning. Have you ever had food poisoning? Uh, one time. Yeah, it's not something that comes up too much. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about, like, vomiting, I mean, there's other other forms, I sure. guess, where you get sick, but it's not nearly as bad as the, the kind where you're in bed for a whole day, just really sick. Yeah, I've had it... Um, Mm, I want to say three times yeah. in my life, and uh, two times were c- kind of quick and moved on, but there was one where it was about a week oh. ordeal. It was really bad. I rem- I still remember the restaurant. I still remember the food. <laughs> I remember eating it and thinking, this just tastes too salty. Like Something mm. doesn't seem right about this, but stupid me <laughs> just kept <laughs> eating it, and uh, it was quite sick from it. So, yeah, you d- you want to avoid uh, <laughs> avoid that at all costs. <laughs> I still remember waking up. I was a teenager. I remember waking up and thinking, wow, I feel different. No. <laughs> like so, it wasn't nor it wasn't like you know how, you know how you feel sometimes when you're sick and I didn't feel that way. Uh, the way I actually felt was in, in this particular case and it hasn't always been this way for me with food poisoning but in this case I felt um like anxious in my stomach like excited sort of. Yeah. And I thought why am I like excited or anxious? Like there's nothing <laughs> happening today that should make me feel this way. I, you know I'm not, I'm not giving a presentation at school or anything and I says what is what is this? And I found out. <laughs> it wasn't great. The reason I could pin it to food poisoning was that um, uh, my sister ate there too, and she got sick. Oh, I see. And so I thought, oh, okay, yeah, that's where it, that's where it came from. Oh, yeah, it's just a terrible experience to ever have to go through something like that. And uh, obviously, you can't control how certain restaurants will cook their food. And that you know, if people don't. The people working there don't wash their hands. That's not something you're going to really know about, and so you just can't really think about it too much. Maybe try to limit how much we go to restaurants, but other than that, you just have to hope that people are using hygienic practices back there. Yeah, he gets some good tips in the article, some things you can do to protect yourself as much as possible, and uh, that's one of the points is you know eating at home. Yeah, typically you can kind of avoid some of that, but it's a it's a good write up because even cooking something the right way. Uh, can kind of get rid of some of the toxins that are in different foods. Like a lot of a lot of produce might have a lot of chemicals in it, but when you cook it, hopefully some of the poisons will will be cooked out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not fun to have that. That's for sure. Uh, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host Stephen Flurry. Make sure you listen for this program as well. A couple of topics. Uh, looking at some historical notes and uh, talking about Russia and just how they've been dominant and rising, and, of course, that ties into the election over the weekend. I told you we were going to keep you in suspense. <laughs> Vladimir Putin won again. Uh, the Sun reported that they have shocking videos have emerged which allegedly show ballot rigging. Would you believe that? In Russia, as Vladimir Putin secured his biggest ever victory in the presidential election, I think it was 74%. And uh, they write that experts have said Putin has made no secret of his plans to reverse the dissolution of the USSR, bringing back the powerful state in all but name. Uh, During a victory speech outside the Kremlin, he vowed to put national interests first and dismissed accusations of involvement in the poisoning of uh, Sergei Skripal as nonsense. Uh, What is the proof that you haven't done this? It's nonsense. Case closed. (laughs) He spoke to the crowds after a video emerged from the Moscow suburbs of uh, Lubursti, where a blonde election official appears to stash voting slips in the ballot box. 
Soon after, another official is seen putting what is thought to be more ballot papers in the box, all captured on uh, closed-circuit TV. So (laughs) they don't care. (laughs) So anyway, he he won the election again, which isn't a surprise. But but what's really interesting, as is pointed out on the Trump Daily and in this write-up too, is that uh, Vladimir Putin has made no secret of his plans to reverse the dissolution of the USSR. He thought the, the dissolution of the Soviet Empire was the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century. That's his number one goal, to bring them back to full power uh, in the world. And, um, you know, he's assuring himself that leadership role at the top to do it. And that ties into a book at thetrumpet.com on the Prince of Rosh. Uh, is he prophesied in the Bible? Is Vladimir Putin's office prophesied? It's worth taking a look at. And he has presided over just a huge surge in power in Russia over the last almost 20 years. Uh, and for someone as a leader of such an important country in the world, you would think that the Bible would have something pretty specific and important to say about that, too. Yeah, he's uh, there's a write-up from uh, AFP talking about him. Putin, Russia's post-Soviet czar, KGB officer turned world leader, Vladimir Putin stamped his total authority on Russia, silencing opposition and reasserting Moscow's lost mine abroad while building a strongman image through macho stunts. He's uh, 65 years old, and he's going to rule to at least 2024 until <laughs> they have another election, and he rules indefinitely until he dies. But but he's uh, he's definitely in there for the long haul. And at 65, he doesn't have a lot of time left to uh, really get Russia back where he wants it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's funny because it says he's been in charge during the, the presidencies of three U.S. presidents. So obviously he's been a rival of every one of them whether they are Republican or Democrat, he is against the U.S., uh, very clearly wants to regain some of the Soviet former Soviet satellite states, at least exert his influence there in Eastern Europe because he doesn't want Europe to take control uh, or have more influence over what used to be a part of Russian territory either. Yeah, he, he uh, definitely is upset about what happened there with the, the Balkans breaking up. There's a Kia David program about that. I think several that are really good to go back and look at that history. If you think about what he's done, he's, um, he's gotten Crimea. He went into Ukraine. Of course, he went into Georgia. That was a few while back. They, uh, they're involved in Syria. Um, they have dealings, I think with Iran to some extent they're, they're really involved in quite a few things and nobody has checked him. Nobody has said that's you're not doing that. You need to back out of uh, Crimea, or you need to you know stop that. And really, uh, even though he is quite a, I think a powerful personality, it was talked about on the Trumpet Hour Week in Review on Friday. I mean, their military might is not that great. I mean, they are a nuclear power, obviously, but they're not in position right now. They don't have that 200 million man army right now. They've got the seeds of it, but they don't have it all together. Um, you know, if, if somebody was willing to stand up to him, you know, maybe maybe he would have some some uh, success, but nobody's even willing to stand up to him. Imagine what he's going to do when he gets all that might behind him. Yeah, and he's he's been very determined the entire time he's been in office, and even, even during the time that he went from, was it president to prime minister for a little bit instead of instead of completely stepping down, or maybe it was prime minister to president. I forget which it is because Vladimir Putin is the one in charge, regardless of the office right. that he's in. Uh, who cares what his official title is because it's always him. It, the whole nation revolves around that one man, and 
it's no secret that he consistently allies himself with nations that America would consider to be uh, dangerous mortal foes. I mean, that's they they've always for for nearly a hundred years seen America as uh, the number one evil, or at least their number one threat in the world. And everything you see him doing is basically an affront to American interests around the world. And he keeps on trying to expand his influence, especially when he sees America becoming more and more internally divided and less determined to stop him in any way. Yeah, we're we're divided in this nation. And, and obviously there are elections coming up. There always are, it seems like, in the U.S. And so everyone's running around trying to, you know, get, get in into power and being very divisive. And he's just just uh, manipulating any elections, which are, of course, all things of farce over there. And just continuing to rule, and so, like you pointed out, that just uh, con- uh, um, continuation of his leadership, it does bring a certain sense of stability that in America we, <laughs> unfortunately, we haven't had because of the division. Uh, and he's an interesting guy because it's hard to pin him down. He, what what exact? Where did he come from exactly? And he gives some some past history, but when you're dealing with former KGB spies. It's not like they're telling you the truth. <laughs> but he does make an interesting comment that they quote here, and it's probably worth noting. In 2015, he said, uh, I don't know if this first part's true, but he said, the Leningrad streets taught me one thing. If a fight is unavoidable, you have to hit first. So <laughs> I don't know if, if all of his tales of fisticuffs are true from back in the day, but in any event... <laughs> um, but probably worth at least thinking about his thinking there, that if he feels a fight's unavoidable, and I would think long-term he feels like a fight's unavoidable with Europe. Um, of course, the West won't be a power at that time, but but he's looking at Europe, obviously, and the U.S. right now to some extent. And, and if the fight's unavoidable, he wants to hit first. So, Well, that's how every nation should look at it, <laughs> if they were smart about their own interests. And, and yet, uh, sadly, America hasn't really been thinking that way for a while Europe has they've been too conflicted about a variety of crises that are going on right now uh, to really uh, hit first against certain enemies they're more interested usually in trying to have peace with Russia until they get themselves together historically they've always tried to do that first and then maybe go after Russia but their problem is that they always have division they always have squabbles internally that they have to deal with first Meanwhile, Russia keeps marching forward toward a common goal, and China's starting to become more and more interested in being on their side and going in lockstep with them. They're not, they're not rife with squabbling and division like Europe is, like America is. They're dictatorships, and they're going to be going one direction no matter what these other powers do. And, of course, what do you need if you're, if you're, in, a, if you're in Europe and you're looking at this? You need uh you need a strong man of your own. Yeah. <laughs> we want one too, which they're going to get, of course. It's interesting too, they say that uh the Kremlin uh being accused of masterminding rebellion in East Ukraine during under of course uh, Putin's leadership, uh that turned into a festering conflict. That conflict alone has cost more than ten thousand lives. You start you start adding up these different conflicts and you know, they were involved in Syria and then of course like they mentioned there um, Ukraine, I, you know, I you kind of start to forget some of these different skirmishes that have popped up there. How many people is he responsible for killing? Do you think <sighs> with with his military advancements and such? Well, Syria has a body count of well over five hundred thousand at this point, I believe, and then 
like you said, Ukraine, 10,000. Journalists who have disappeared, well, well, well over 100 that we know of. Uh, so, yeah, you start to add it up. Political opponents that he has poisoned or former spies who left Russia to find asylum that he somehow still tracked down and either killed or hurt very badly, like in, in Britain recently. The body count is astronomical, whether you're talking about people actually killed or people uh, very badly hurt by him. And he doesn't care. That's yeah. just that's just part of him keeping power and moving Russia forward, he believes. Yeah. So he's a really uh, fascinating character and a, a bad dude at that, <laughs> to put it in the vernacular. <laughs> the Prophesied Prince of Russia, uh, make sure you look at that uh, booklet there at thetrumpet.com. He did say one thing that is worth noting at the very end. He said, or they said, after Donald Trump's shock election win, U.S. intelligence accused Putin of ordering a hacking and influence campaign to get Trump to the White House. And Mr. Putin, in the truest <laughs> words he's ever spoken, said, those that lose always look to blame someone else. <laughs> So uh, that might be something to consider. Uh, that's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio Show and Kia David program. Also, watch Jerusalem and Just the Best Literature coming up today as well. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.